0: Let's try that again. Good morning. morning. I want to welcome you guys to Connect Community Church. My name is Pastor Derek, if you don't know who I am. So glad you guys are here. Uh, I love this church. I love coming home to church. This is my spiritual home. And uh, when I go to heaven, I'm going to come back here on the weekends. (laughs) Listen, we're in a series uh, entitled Home, actually. And uh, the premise of the series, for those of you who are new here today, to kind of catch you up is that uh, kind of contrasting a house with a home. Uh, when you build a house, you build a house on brick and mortar and wood, hay and stubble as the Bible would say, nail guns and cement and things like that. But a home is built on wisdom and common sense according to Proverbs chapter 24 verse 3. How many know that common sense isn't so common anymore? Or as I like to say, ain't so common anymore. So that ain't, that ain't good English, but it's good preaching, amen? So we're just been talking about all aspects of relationship and how to build things on common sense and wisdom using God's... Word as a, as a guideline and as goalposts and as guardrails for relationships, and so we talked in kind of week one and two about living single uh, not just you know it 's just not for all the single ladies it 's for the guys too, and kind of uh, unpacked what 's really happening in our culture today and if you weren 't around for that man that 's an all play, but definitely for those of you who are uh, single or uh, who want to be no i 'm just kidding. Uh, but then the last two weeks we talked about parenting. How many were here for the last couple of weeks for our kind of parenting talks? All right, anybody get a little bit out of that? And so I just encourage you if you didn't listen to those messages, go online, listen to those, download those, or just watch it on the services. They're there for you. But today, today we're going to talk about marriage. Dun dun dun. We're going to talk about marriage, and I'm going to actually make a kind of a, a biblical point—a contrast between what the Bible talks about as covenant, covenant versus contract. And in the service, like week one or two, I kind of called an audible, felt like God was saying, hey, let's give opportunity for those couples who uh, ha- are married, who already come together, to really do it maybe the way God intended for them to do it, again. So though they're married, though they're connected, uh, maybe they came together and they did it wrong. In other words, they came down the aisle and they didn't really know what they were getting into. They really didn't see it through God's eyes. Maybe they did or they, and they want to take it to the next level. So there are couples... In We had a powerful first service, and I expect that this will be very powerful for you as well. But there are couples that were in the first service that renewed their vows in front of the whole church and just rededicated their lives to each other as husband and wife, and it was just so profound. And there are couples that are here today that are getting ready to do the same thing. So I would ask this. I would ask in honor of these couples, you as observers and witnesses to what's going to happen before God and man, would you stand to your feet and would you welcome these couples Uh, as they come with this next song, okay? Come on down. we Couples, you may be seated as well in the first two rows and take good notes. (laughs) Well, I want to welcome you all to this special occasion. Um, It is just that. It's very, very special. There's something about marriage that just does that. It's incredible. If I was to title this message, and I'm going to go ahead and do that, I would call this unbroken. I heard a phrase. I don't claim it as my own, but basically there are some things that were never meant to be broken some things that were never meant to be broken, certainly through God's eyes. And when I look at relationships, um, I think back to my past. Uh, some of you have you know, different stages because of different ages, and so it may or may not relate to you perfectly the way it does uh, to me, but I can remember when Um, I first got married you know you go in with uh, a box of wishes you know you wish that there would you know she would uh, come to to bed and she'd wear this nice little nightgown and and and, and she wished it didn't matter And, and, and I wished that I would come home to you know warm cooked home cooked meals and the kids all tucked away in candlelight as I arrived home from work and she wished that she could just hand the baby to me and Spaghettios would be okay. <laughs> and we would take long walks and long talks at the end of the night. So we we bring this box of wishes down to the altar, and unknowingly we kind of dump it there, and something happens either then or a little bit later. Something changes. It's a dynamic in the relationship where it moves from a box of wishes, desires, to expectation. It can change just like that. I remember when, you know, we first got married, and you probably thought something like this. You remember when, you know, and you've seen pictures on this. You've seen commercials. The, the girl is wearing the husband's big shirt, you know, college shirt, you know, and it's kind of cute and sexy, and you like that. And, and, and you, you wake up in the morning, and she says, oh, no, don't go. Just stay. Just stay. Remember that? Remember those days long ago? Whether it was a month later or a year later, then you wake up the next morning and she says, don't forget to take out the trash. (laughs) And are you going to wear that? You know what I mean? As you walk out the door. Something changed. Something changed. You know what I mean? On the front end, it was just like awesome. It was like going to a, uh, you know, a a carnival or a a roller coaster. You know, as you're going up the roller coaster of marriage, it's like click, click, click. You know, it's comfortable. complete each other, finish each other's sentences. It's like having a teddy bear. You're so comfortable. Click, 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 and the horizon looks good, and the skies are blue, and there's no storms on the forecast, and then you get to the top. And all of a sudden, wow! welcome to the jungle, you know, and all the bliss is just run amiss. It's gone. It changes like just like that. Does anybody out there know what I'm talking about? I'm just kidding it's bliss every day in my house. (laughs) That's why you need times like this, where you got to, you got to kind of like sit up, sit down, buckle up, and kind of review what is really important about relationships. Kind of bring us back, give us the right perspective, because it's not all uphill. There's a lot of, there's a lot of downhill sometimes, and how do we, you know, how do we ride those, those waves, those ebbs and flows, those peaks and those valleys? What do we do in those situations? And, and it, it reminds us of what's important when we do things like this. And even though times are tough, and we know that when it comes to relationship, there's still something inside of us as couples. There's still something inside of us, those of us who are still single, that desire to be married. We desire oneness. Oneness is from God. It actually came from Him. God is one. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, qualitatively and quantitatively, one, the Trinity, they're one. Oneness comes from God. I I, I remember this desire, you know, showing up in my life really early. Even when I was a young boy, I can remember my first girlfriend in the fifth grade. Still remember? Tina Luciani. (laughs) This cute little Italian, you know, and, and, and I would bring her offerings to express that I liked her. And so I would buy Bubblicious and Hubba Bubba. (laughs) Put it in little packets, fold it up in like paper, you know, little special notes inside. You know the notes when you go like this, you know what I mean? You know, one, two, three, four, roses are red, violets are blue. If I look like you, oh my gosh, I go to a zoo or something like that. And, (laughs) And you'd hand these, you wouldn't deliver them yourself. Oh no, you had emissaries to bring your offerings to the person in the fifth grade. You don't talk to girls, but you like them. And so I can remember how relationships were in the beginning. And, and then I can remember those, those books that you bring home from school and your mom would go buy, you know, you take the paper, you know, you take the bags from the grocery store and you cut them up and you cover your books. And then you would do something that just, I don't know, it left an impression in my mind. We would, we would carve into that book, you know, a heart, you know, whatever your initials are, plus whatever their initials are, arrow forever. And then you'd go around Check out this advertisement. You know what I mean? You want everybody to see your books. You carved her name, his name into that. It's your advertisement. And we did things like that to tell everybody this relationship is defined, it is, it is exclusive, it is forever. And so we did class rings, and the girl would get the class ring. She wouldn't put it on her finger. No, she put it on a necklace right over her heart. Because my heart belongs to him. Or you'd wear a letter jacket, you know, and she'd look like a teenage ninja mutant turtle, you know, covered in this huge thing. And that's my girl over there. You see her? Yeah. The one drowning in the jacket. Yeah, that's her. There's something in us that wants to say that something is permanent. Even with our moms, guys are carving, you know, tattoos. I love mom. I can remember, you know, uh, writing a poem to my wife for our 10th year anniversary, it was epic. I've never been able to achieve such success since. Almost 24 years married. Don't write poems to your wife, gentlemen. No, I'm just kidding. If you are, I'm just telling you, setting the bar high. But I can remember this image when I was writing this poem, which I'm not really that good at. I'm a wordsmith, maybe off the top of my tongue, but not, not necessarily that. So I can remember this image as I'm writing this thing. I'm like, how do I express to Stacy? my commitment to her. And I had this picture. It's kind of like something you've seen before. I don't know. Maybe it's a montage of different experiences. But I had this picture of a couple and they're in love and, and they go out into a field, you know, and it's got that grass that just kind of blows in the wind, you know, that, and, and, and there's this hill. And on the top of the, I just said a funny word, hill. I don't know where that was a weird rendition of the word hill. On the top of the hill, there was this tree there was this one singular tree, and, 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 and the, the silhouette or the backdrop of the tree was blue sky. So you walk, run up the hill hand in hand. We love each other, you know. The hills are alive. And, and we're just going to the top. And we get there. And I've, 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 you know, got in my mind that they're going to have like a picnic lunch, like anybody does that anymore. But anyway, picnic lunch and inside, grapes and cheese and wine and the whole bit and a nice spread and a cool blanket. And we lay, we, we lay down on the blanket and we have this romantic meal. Again, tree. You, see, you feeling me? You feeling this? You, there should be music for this. But anyway, so as that ends, I've got this big surprise and this is all the backdrop for the poem. But when we're done, we're going to go around to the other side of the tree, and I'm going to show her that I have taken my buck knife days before and set this whole thing up, and I've carved a heart into the tree. DF plus SM, her maiden name was Mon. You know, arrow through forever, carved into a tree. And I was trying to say to her in this poem that this relationship is forever. And when we come back to this next week, Next year, next season, we're going to go to that tree. It's going to still be there. It'll still be there. And whether the elements would come against us, whether the torrent of, of rains and storms and seasons, that might come. It doesn't matter because that relationship was carved into a tree. And these pictures, they're just like signs and indicators to you and me that God puts something in us that knows that a relationship between a husband and wife was meant to be Serious. Between a man and a woman was meant to be serious, that it would last, it would sustain, it would remain. That was the point. And that something is there from God. Actually, the first institution created by God is, is marriage. It actually preceded the church. The church, which we value and we hold in such high regard, is simply a reflection or a mirror of what marriage is. Marriage is a commitment, an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person forever. And that's really what Christ did. With us, his bride. He's the groom. We're the bride. We're imperfect. And he said, I commit to you. And we'll talk about that more as we go forward. Is everybody still staying awake? So it's no surprise that if something was placed there by God, whether you agree with that or not, you know there's that drive in there for that. There's that that desire there from God. It's no surprise that something so important would be under siege. Something so important would hit wave after wave of attack. You know, marriage his, his as, a, as an institution today, statistically is a failing institution. And I think it's because many times it's because we've lost sight of how God created and established this perfect union through God's eyes. Today, it's so different. There's nothing cut, carved into anything anymore. Cut's kind of the operative word I'll get to, but relationships are short-lived at best. Um, many you know, we, we we trial and error. Many boyfriends, many girlfriends. We've got histories a mile long before we go into our permanent relationship. We're some in some cases we're just practicing for divorce. You know how you play how you how you play now, or how you practice now is how you play later. So we're we're, we're rehearsing things now. We've cultures moved to friendship, friends with with benefits, but no commitments, no strings attached. And I get it, and I understand, and there's no judgment. That's not my point, but it's, it, that's, that's the evolution. We've gone so far away from the way God saw it in the first place. God saw things through a different lens. His lens is covenant. Can everybody say that? Covenant. He believes in cutting covenant with us, and he wants us to do the same with each other, with his church, in particular, with our spouse. But what is covenant? Covenant actually means we are blood-related. Covenant is the word cut. In the Hebrew, it's bereath. Cut. We cut. We cut. Actually, when there was a wedding, two betrothed would come together. They would actually walk down an aisle where sacrifices had been made on both sides of this aisle. Actually, blood flowed down the aisle. The tradition of walking down the aisle actually came from centuries ago, Genesis chapter 15, when God cut covenant with Abraham. And, but then it carried forward, and these couples would come down this aisle of blood, and they would get to the end of the aisle, and basically the pastor, the rabbi, would come, and he would cut the hand of the betrothed, each one. And then they would grab hands together and allow the blood of each party to commingle, signifying a permanent, irrevocable decision or commitment between two people. And then he would wrap their hands together, saying they're one. They are blood-related. They are blood-related. You know, we have the expression, blood is thicker than water. And you see relationships that are disposable, that can be thrown aside, that can be cast aside. But not when they're blood. When they're blood, oh no, blood is thicker than water. What if marriage was a blood covenant? Now just so you don't get nervous, nobody's hands are getting cut today and no knives are coming out later on in the service. I want you to think symbolically and in principle as we go forward, amen? What if marriage was like that? What if the relationship with that was that way? What if marriage was a covenant agreement between two individuals? What would that look like today? In order to understand covenant, you have to contrast it with another word, and that word, which is common today, sometimes consciously or unconsciously, and that is contract. Contract. So, covenant is God's method, contract is man's method. So, I want to I give you kind of Two different definitions as we go forward, because um, to understand one, you have to sometimes understand the other. In contract, here's the word of to start us out: is we protect our rights and we limit our responsibilities. That's kind of the American way, the American idea that we hear a lot: "is I got rights, I got rights." Now that's American, but in marriage, it's not Christian. It's not Christian. It's not Christian. Contract wants all the benefits, but it doesn't want to give anything for it, and what happens is we come down the the, the, the aisle, come to the altar, and what happens in a contract is, you know who else is there with you? Self. Self is on the seat of your life, not Christ, and where self is, contract is. Self is there at the altar, and self will surface later to protect its rights. And it can undermine and poison the relationship. Now covenant, which is the complete opposite, is where we give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. This is where a lot of times in relationships, and even in counseling when I'm doing this, I get the pushback. People start giving me the Heisman. Hold on, hold on, wait a second, wait a second. Because covenant says, I will sacrifice for you. Covenant says, I'll lay down my life for you. Covenant says, even to the point of blood, I will serve you and meet your needs. The thing is, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus did that for me, and Jesus did that for you. In Philippians chapter 2, it's kind of a big term, theological term, but it's called the kenosis experience. But it basically means Jesus was in heaven, and he's the big talk. He's got all these divine rights and privileges and 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 superpowers and the Bible says that he took off his robe, he took off all his divine rights and privileges and he surrendered all that. He he took off, he gave up his rights and then he came to earth and he picked up responsibility for a people that didn't deserve what he was giving them. Jesus did for us what he wants us to do for someone else. Jesus did something vertically for us that he wants us to do horizontally for our spouse. Can I have an amen? And that's why we do it. That's good. That's good. Amen. You can praise the Lord for that. That's all right. So I want to talk about two aspects of covenant marriage, the rights we give up and the responsibilities we pick up. And it's taken from Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Let me paraphrase it for you. This is the first, the first marriage. The first lady, not not Michelle Obama, it's it's Eve and Adam, and and Eve is formed from Adam. Actually, God cut, amazing, into Adam, there was the shedding of blood, and Eve was formed from Adam. And and then the two of them, and what happened is, as soon as Eve is formed, man looks, Adam looks at this creation and he goes, whoa, man, man. You guys getting the picture here? That's why we get the name woman, okay? He's in awe of this creation. Now, he wasn't lonely. He was alone, which is totally different. And he co- they come together. And the Bible says the two became, they were one, one, and they became one flesh. God's math is one plus one equals one. And then it says in Genesis 2.25, they both were naked and felt no shame. So here's some of the rights we give up that we pick up from this particular text. You can write these down. Number one, we give up in a covenant marriage our preferences. Our preferences. This is what you guys as couples are saying this morning is in a covenant relationship, I'm giving up my preferences. I no longer put, in other words, my interests above you above you. I give you, this is the commitment statement, I give you the the right to be the first priority in my life, this is what you're saying to each other, and to protect that place against anything that you perceive as a competition. I don't come down the aisle to say I do so I can get mine. I come down the aisle in an essence, this is going to sound strong, but I say I die to myself and live for you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live for myself. The life I now live, how do I do do what you're asking me to do? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The same thing that Jesus did for me empowers me to do that for you is what Galatians 2.20 is saying. Is that a good word or not? So God, God, he wants to be first in your life. He doesn't want to just be your Sunday God. He wants to be first in every aspect of your life. And he wants you to do that for your spouse. It's between you and God in your heart, but it's expressed between you and your spouse in your behavior with each other and your lifestyle and your choices. Number two, we give up our possessions. Everybody say possessions. This, this is a tough one. This is a covenant. Again, covenant is no joke. It's not like messing around. I know this is countercultural, but covenant says we give up our possessions. I give you the right to co-own and co-administrate everything in my life. What does that look like? It means... We don't say things like, well, that's my stuff, and that's her stuff. That's my car, that's her car. Well, she's got the house, but I got the summer home. You know what I mean? No, there's none of that kind of stuff. You you don't say things like, well, I'm the primary breadwinner, and uh, and you're just a homemaker. No, we don't say that. Those are social contracts that will undermine the relationship. They'll eventually surface to undermine the relationship. It's a spirit. It's a spirit of contract. Instead, in a covenant relationship, we're saying, when I came down that aisle, I, I, when I said I give you my life, I signed over the deed of my whole life. Everything that's mine is yours and everything that's yours is mine. It's no, this is mine and this is yours. No, it's ours. Everything is ours. Everything to be shared. And, and that means time. That means money. That means possessions. That even means your body. Gentlemen, you'll probably like this particular verse. It's usually a refrigerator verse for a lot of people. But 1 Corinthians 7.4 says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And all the men said, Amen. And then, in the same way, it says, The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. And the men said again, Amen. Have it. <laughs> it's funny. Both of work out for the men, right? But... The truth is, and I had to learn the secret to this the, wrong, the hard way because I did things the wrong way, but the secret to this principle is not in what you demand from her, but what do you give away, what you give away. And so you never see the verse, should, the verse should not be used, see, you belong to me, give it up. That's not what it's saying. It's saying I belong to you, how can I give to you is what it's saying. And so I see this big time in so many different areas and relationships and finances and all kinds of things where we we separate. And basically, this is strong, but selfish people cannot be in covenant. They're not in covenant. And so, you all right? Everybody out there? You know? All right. So anyway, sure is quiet in this Methodist church. All right, number three. We give up our privacies. Our privacies is the third thing we give up, privacies. And this is the commitment statement here for you guys as couples is, I give you free and unhindered access to every part of my life. This is going to hit some people in different ways, but there's nothing that we're supposed to hide or keep from each other. Genesis 2.25, again, says they were naked and they felt no shame. See, I thought it was, men, we just always go to the physical nakedness. Yeah, they were naked in the garden. Woo! God is good all the time. All right? No. It's, it's not emphasizing just the physical, it's also emphasizing the emotional, the spiritual, the practical, our relational lifestyles. In other words, they were both completely exposed, transparent, open, nothing hidden. Nothing. We're here, we hear it all the time. People say things like, in counseling in particular, this comes up, I can't share that with him. I could never tell her that. I mean, she'll blow up, he'll blow up, he'll leave. Then you don't have a covenant. Covenant is, is, there's no secrets. I say this all the time, but everything from your checkbook to Facebook is an open book. It's all open. Why is that so important? Because covenant then can be a no matter what, because then no matter what, you're okay. Because no matter, there's no blackmailer. There's nobody that can expose you or undermine you. And, and, and what, what fuels this is what God knows you really want, and that's Intimacy. Intimacy isn't put your right your best foot in or your right foot in and shake it all about and everybody likes that part of you but it's not the real you. That's what an affair is. An affair is just look at this part of me, you likey, but there's a whole other side of you that they don't see until later, and that's why it blows up. And that's why you, in the ninety percentile, those relationships are you know the mortality rate of those relationships are so high because the real you never came out. But intimacy is when somebody sees the real you and still loves you, which is precisely what God did for you. He sees the real you. For you to get, give your heart to Christ to get saved, you had to surrender to the fact that he loves you as you are. He sees you in your wickedness. He sees you in your sinfulness. He sees you when you gave him the Heisman. He sees you when you rejected him. And he still demonstrated his love toward you in that while you were yet sinners. Christ died for you. And so that same love that he gave you, he's saying, I know what you need. I'll love you like that. And when you know that somebody loves you as you really are, you're like, oh my gosh, how can I not love you back? And you feel different, and it motivates you and inspires you. And that's the same thing that God wants to do in your relationship with each other, where you can be completely transparent and real, which leads to intimacy, which keeps us healthy in our relationships. Can I have an amen? So God wants, he he wants you to be close by giving up your preferences, by your possessions and your privacy. That's what we lay down. But what do we pick up? Let's talk about responsibilities we pick up. Number one, here's here's what we do in covenant. We pick up love. Everybody say love. love. Love isn't love if it's conditional. In fact, it's easy to say, it's easy to love somebody who's lovely, not ugly. It's hard to love the ugly, right? But Christ did that. He loved you when you were ugly. He loved you when you were rejecting him. He loved you when you were doing things that weren't so good. He still loved you. He didn't hug us, high-five us. He gave his life for us in our sin and sinfulness. And that's the ultimate unconditional love. My wife has a quote. I don't know where she got it, but I always give her credit for it. But love counts the most when it matters most, and it matters most when we need it most but deserve it the least. That's what we want. That's what we needed to, to experience the grace of God. We had to experience the prickly truth about our condition, but in spite of the truth about our prickly condition, God gave us grace. He gave us precisely what we needed but did not deserve. That's unconditional love. It's incredible. And it's cliche, but love is, is, is a decision. It's, it's more than a feeling. And I'm resisting a song rendition right now by Boston. You know what I'm saying? But I need a lead guitar for it. So I'm going to stay away from that. More than a feeling. All right, anyway, I keep going. But what happens when that love that you verbally said is put to the test? What does that look like? I don't love him anymore. Do you know what kind of a, do you know what he did? Do you know what she did? She's irrational. Oh, my God, she's got a black belt and MasterCard. (laughs) She's crazy. She's crazy. That's when you decide, you use that muscle called free will agency that God gave you to make a conscious choice to love your spouse, and it is possible through him. So, so some of us, though, we're in the relationship, but we actually haven't kept our vows. What do you mean by that? What are you talking about? Well, many of us said, for better, for worse, uh, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to death do us part. Many of us haven't actually kept those. We said those vows, but we haven't really kept those. And, and, and this is saying, no matter what, you don't, you don't break up, you don't divide by one. In other words, you can kill them, but you can't divorce them. <laughs> Murder's okay. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. I'm just trying to see if everybody's paying attention out there, okay? So during marital counseling, sometimes I'll challenge couples, and, and I'll say, okay, we're going we're gonna to go through the vows. This is what it's going to be like. Now, when you say this, I just want you to know this is before God and before man. This is a big deal. Don't mess around. This is serious. This isn't like tra-la-la-la, real cute night. And I want to say this, and we say it that way. No, these are vows. These are lifelong commitments that you're making. So before you say these things, are there any other conditions in the relationship? Because if there are, we need to work through those things right now. And, and, and they, it's so funny, especially the new ones. They can't think of anything. They're like, oh, no, I can never imagine he would ever do anything that would make me not keep my vows. And, and, and he's like, yeah, she's awesome. And i I'm like, y- you better buckle up, baby, because it's going to get rough really, really, really quick, and they can't come up with something, so I'll say, well, what about this? <laughs> Fill in the blank. Well, oh, all of a sudden, it gets, they get perky, and, and what about that? Oh, so that's a problem? Yeah, that would be a problem. Okay, so we want to write that into our vows? Oh, well, I wasn't saying that, because that would mess up the ceremony. Who cares about the ceremony? We're going to be spending the rest of our lives together, so let's say what we mean and mean what we say. You know? And so the truth is though, we need to have a love. We need love that when we deserve it least, we give it most. Here's the commitment statement. I assume the responsibility to love you according to the standard of Christ's love and to never justify any action or word that falls to a lower standard. Christ loved us a certain way. We ought to love similarly. Number two, we pick up purity. Everybody say purity. purity. Say it like I mean it. Say purity. purity. All right, like, I don't know how to say that strong. Purity. Hebrews 13.4 says, marriage should be honored by all. It's not, though, is it? There's nothing really sacred anymore. If nothing's sacred, then things can change. That's why social contracts are emerging. That's why laws are changing. In different parts of the world, you can have one-day marriages, one-week marriages, polygamous relationships. You can, you can have two-year terms, and if you don't renew, you're automatically divorced. The world is changing because nothing's sacred anymore. But marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. That's this is a strong verse. And I realize that we live in a sexually charged Generation filled with temptation everywhere. I get it. No judgment. I understand it. Simply put, without getting into this, and we'll do some more on this next week to be very practical regarding relationship. But if you're not intentional about protecting your union, you will unintentionally be leaving yourself unprotected. That's what happens. And the principle that has kind of popped out more times than I can count is you need to focus on intimacy with your spouse. Intimacy. And again, I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about emotional, in particular. I'm talking about relational, practical. You know, sometimes love is is is, is spelled T I M E. Sometimes love is spelled show me. <laughs> you know, sometimes it has a practical side to it as well. But where intimacy lives, sin will die. Where sin lives, intimacy dies. We to focus on intimacy. And sometimes we know the the ugly, big killers of intimacy, affairs and pornography and attraction to the opposite sex, but there sometimes are these sub, I don't know, toxic influences that can get in the way that are not as blatant. And this happens a lot of times when you have been married many years. It can be work. You know, I'm a good man, I provide work, 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 and before you know it, and this is is the one that, that the Achilles, the kryptonite, for me, is I can be saving the world and I can be losing my marriage and my family. It could be hobbies or toys. Women, it could be kid-centric homes. The babies, the babies, the babies, the babies, the babies. What about your husband? And so things that were or uh, are seemingly normal can be, can be diluting the effectiveness and the, and the consistency of your relationship. So the commitment statement for this is, I assume responsibility to protect our marriage from toxic influences that can erode intimacy. And I will fiercely protect our union with selfless love, passion, and accountability. Here's another one we pick up. We pick up the proper place value, place value. This is actually referring to honor. In a covenant relationship, husband and wife need to give each other the proper place value, honoring each other. Honor means to put value to something, to place it, kind of put it in high regard. And, And we do it because God places value on his creation, and, and you can increase value in your eyes and the eyes of others by what you do and how you show that. For centuries, uh, this has happened over and over for many, many years, but men have showed little or no regard for women. No place value, no honor for women. Um, but, but, the, but the pendulum in current uh, generations has swung the other way, and that's why you have this women's liberation movement. In, in fact, I agree with many of the women's issues, but I hate the spirit of it. It's the spirit of it that's the problem. They're doing it because for centuries they've been abused by men and thinking that women should have no voice. And truth be told, a society with no women's voice is a sad and desolate place. But as a result of this liberation movement, you see an overcompensation by compensation where women now are emasculating men and, you, and every man's a doofus and, it's, and an idiot. And, a, and that's why you have shows like Everybody Loves Raymond and I Love the Show. But let's just face it, look at how men are being depicted in our culture today right? It's an overcompensation. It's gone too extreme. And as a result, the end result is a fallout with generations of young people that are coming up. And young men have no idea how to treat a lady or cherish a woman. They see her more as an object. And young ladies have no idea how to admire and respect and submit to a man. And the result is no place value, no place value. So men, we need to learn how to cherish women. Sometimes it just doesn't come naturally, especially in the culture we're in. And that's why we need God's word. That's why we need godly people and godly influences in our life to know how to do that. And women, we need to learn how to be cheerleaders of men. Because if you don't praise the men, they'll praise themselves. There's not a man on the planet that's doing dishes in the kitchen that doesn't announce that he's doing dishes in the kitchen. Everybody, I'm doing the dishes. Look at dad. Woo, rub-a-dub-dub. Check me out. That's what happens, you know. And, 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 and women, if you're smart, you can train your husbands. Pavlov was onto something. Men are like dogs. You know what I mean? Good boy, good boy, good boy. Scratch his ear. You know, scratch his ear behind his head. Treat him really good. Give him a treat once in a while. Come on, man, I'm trying to help you out. You know, listen, you can train a man. You can train a man. Go get the car. You know what I mean? Hold this purse while I go in the store. Have you ever seen a couple where the guy's been married many, many years and and he's holding the purse outside the store by himself? You can just see him there, he's just holding the purse. He's on the stay command. He's on the stay command from his wife. Stay right there. Good boy, good boy. Stay right there. Stay. No, don't move. Stay right there. I got to hold this purse. Stay. That's what he's doing. He's honoring his wife and cherishing her through the little things. And that's what you do. So here the commitment statement is, I assume responsibility to honor you and do everything possible to help you achieve your highest potential as God's perfect will for your life. Here's the last point. We pick up partnership. Everybody say partnership. Here's the deal. For covenant to work, takes two. I got another song that's coming to my head right now, but I won't do that. It's really inappropriate. But it takes two to make, okay, sorry. Uh, you, can't, you can't say, this is good, husband, wife, and this is not good. Bible's, it's all over the place. God's upstairs just going, I can't hear you. Ah. You're trying to pray to me right now, but you and your wife are not good. That's what he says. The Bible says it all over the place, okay? Marriage only works when both partners are submitted to the Lord. And so then when you have an argument, what settles it? God. God's word. That's what settles it. You don't go by your feelings. You go by certain absolutes. There's no absolutes anymore. We need absolutes to have a successful marriage. Listen, you're not responsible for your spouse's actions. You're responsible for your actions. But as you submit to the Lord, I believe this. I believe confession promotes confession. So if I am willing to admit my faults, not as a formula to get her to reciprocate, she's more inclined to reciprocate. I believe ownership for my mistakes promotes ownership. So we submit to God's word. It, it activates uh, that, that partnership that God wants for us in our relationship. And, well, you know, what did you see how he treated me? Do you see what the Bible says about forgiving him? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean, if you can't stand before God and say this side because God will say, what about this? My word says this. Well, did you see how he acted toward me? Yeah, but did you see how I acted toward you when you were acting like that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Next. I don't like that message. Can we go to message two? Skip. Fast forward. Nope, it's not how it is. So, in a covenant relationship versus contractual, we say this I assume responsibility to serve you by submitting my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I express that submission to you in marriage. Let me say this as I begin to wrap things up What if, what if your marriage? currently feels like this is for everybody listening online. It feels like a contract. I I know people that are in this room. I know people that were in this last service. I know people that are listening online would say, I wish he was here to hear that. I wish she was here right now to hear that. Listen, you're here right now to hear this. Let something happen in your heart that attracts, that just, that draws, not drives somebody to change. When you change, It will bring about change. It's not about an exchange of information. It's about a transformation of you. When you're transformed, life attracts life. When you got the life of God inside you, it will attract the life of God in and around you and every relationship that you have. But contract... What do you need to do about getting out of that? I just want you to know our relationship, my wife and I, did not reflect covenant. In many instances, there are still issues that do not reflect covenant from time to time. We have to get back on track. I want you to know as a living testimony, there's hope for your relationship. If there was hope for mine, there's hope for yours. The last service I was, I couldn't even look in a similar way, I can't even do this in a sense here because I know a lot of the people that are renewing their vows. I know the story. So you think you're different, you're not. There's a story behind every face that you'll see today. God wants to write another chapter. The book's not over for you. There are many chapters left as you continue to submit to him and partner with God, and God will partner with you in your relationship. We had some really tough times in our marriage. and In fact, um, we were two people broken. The ideal is that two people come in whole to the relationship, but the truth is and the reality is most of us come in broken. But we decided, and I'm asking you to decide, and you to observe and decide for yourself in your relationship to be two people broken together, committed to him forever. That's what it means. And so I've got, a, I've got a visual that I want to give you, a visual illustration. I'm going to show you this video. And then the couples are going to declare it and renew their vows with each other. And then we're going to pray. And then I'm going to dismiss you guys. But I want you to see something that I can't communicate on what it means to be broken together and to make a commitment to stay together forever in the process. Would you guys play that video? I hope you enjoy this. hard to put it better than that. I would just ask that the couples would come forward now and kind of spread across the front, and then you can turn and face each other. As they come, they have been given kind of a a token of covenant uh, where they will tie and wrap their hands together. If you guys would just spread across the front. Yeah, come over here. Great. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. And you can just face each other, and you can begin to tie uh, your, your hands together as a symbol of your united relationship and covenant relationship. As I spoke earlier, this was kind of a tradition that would take place, minus the cutting of the hands. We are also a little more modern in that sense where we're symbolizing two couples coming together. This is an awesome test of whether they can actually do it. (laughs) As they're doing it, let me say over them, today you come hand in hand as you enter marriage again. Hand in hand, you step out in faith. The hand you freely give to each other is both the strongest and the most tender part of your body, your marriage hand. In the years ahead, you will need both strength and tenderness. Be firm in your commitment. Don't let your grip become weak. And yet, be flexible as you go through the changes of life. Don't let your hold become intolerable. Strength and tenderness. Firm commitment and flexibility. Of such is a marriage made hand in hand. I would like you guys to repeat this after me in unison together. Say this to your spouse. As your hand is joined to mine, so too are our lives. This covenant being made today is an irrevocable decision to love you unconditionally. Until Death do us part. I understand God, that you made a covenant with me, and in turn, I have decided of my own free will to make a covenant with you, my spouse, before these witnesses, and before God. I will keep my word to you to my own hurt and change not. By your grace, God. With the power of the Holy Spirit, this is possible. All things, including my marriage, are possible to those who believe and act on their beliefs. Honey, I believe you can do it. With God's help, it is expressed through me in us. Now let me pray for you. Would you join me, church, as we pray for these couples? You can bow your heads if you wouldn't mind. God, I pray that you see these covenant relationships today. May they be in perfect union, hand in glove. The Bible talks about this, that they were created perfectly opposite. That was your perfect design. I charge these couples to remember not to walk this path alone. Don't be afraid to reach out to others when together you face difficulty. Other hands are there. Friends, and family, and your church, and to accept an outstretched hand is not an admission of failure, but an act of faith. For behind us, underneath us, all around us, are the arm, the outstretched arms of the Lord. It is into His hand, the hands of God in Jesus Christ, that above all else we commit these unions, husband and wives together, forever, carved and cut in covenant. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now I'm going to pronounce them husband and wife again. But the Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse 9, what God, I speak this over you as couples, has joined together, let no man ever separate. May nothing separate. Some things were never meant to be broken. So as your pastor... I bless these relationships, these covenant relationships. May the favor of God be on your life as you go forward the rest of your life, and you may kiss your spouse. Amen. <laughs> Woo. Come on, let's give a big hand. Can you stand to your